So this morning we're going to talk about what's your motivation and where is your heart? Now, if you're a parent, you've undoubtedly had this experience or something similar to it. The game is over, all the orange slices have been eaten, you may or may not know who won the game, but you line the teams up. And you walk across, good game, good game, good game, good game. Now, if you're from a Pentecostal background, of course, you raise your hand and go, good game, good game, good game. But you know what? I know we want to teach sportsmanship. And that's a good thing. But it's not always a good game. I remember losing a crosstown high school, junior high school football game, 56 to 7. That was not a good game. And my heart certainly wasn't in the good game handshakes as we walked across the field. Because as I said, and everyone on my team knew, it was not a good game. Petey last week talked a little bit about hypocrites and what they are. And as he said, a hypocrite is someone who assumes a character that does not belong to him. They're an actor. He or she is a person who outwardly manifests something that doesn't reflect who they are inside. This week's scripture, and it won't be on the screen, is from Matthew 6, verses 5 to 8, if you want to read it in a Bible in front of you. And it's leading up to Jesus teaching the Lord's or the model prayer. And these are the verses. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Do not be like hypocrites, an actor, acting outwardly different than you are inside. I'm afraid I'm a hypocrite more often than I would like to admit. Good game. But here, Jesus is talking about being a prayer hypocrite. And he's talking to the Pharisees who wanted men to think that they were on a higher level of spirituality than common folk. And to fully understand what Jesus is talking about, we need to put that passage into context. He was speaking to the Pharisees and his disciples around him, as well as whatever crowd had gathered to hear this message. Probably mostly a Jewish audience, maybe some Gentiles, maybe some Roman soldiers, but mostly a Jewish audience. And no nation has ever had a higher ideal of prayer than the Jews. No religion ever ranked prayer higher in the scale of priorities than the Jewish people. It was said by many rabbis that great is prayer, greater than all good works. There was a rabbinic phrase about family worship that says, he who prays within his house surrounds it with a wall that's stronger than iron. But Jesus knew that certain bad habits had become prevalent in the ways the Jews prayed. 
It wasn't that prayer was being neglected, far from it. They prayed all the time. But it had become a ritual for many. There were two sets of prescribed prayers that the Jews were to say every day. The first was called the Shema, which is three short passages of Scripture. And I'm going to read those today because they say such beautiful things. So I want you to listen to their message. The first is from Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. And from Deuteronomy 11:13 to 21, And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and soul, he will give you rain for the land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. Take care lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them while you are sitting in your house, and when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of the Lord that was sworn to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. And from Numbers, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them and not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. What a beautiful message. The word Shema means hearing or obeying and takes its name from the verse that really is the essence, the very first part of this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is your God. Hearing and obeying. And on this special day, it's good to remember, even though that we know Jesus was perfect in every way, that he had a wonderful example at home of a woman who heard and obeyed. From the Gospel of Luke, the angel Gabriel was sent by God and tells Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. 
Mary asked, how will this be as I'm a virgin? And she is told that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and she will become pregnant and that nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What was Mary's motivation? To listen and obey God. And where was her heart? In complete and utter obedience to the Lord. And she had to have known as a young unmarried woman the possible consequences. Shame, despair, even being stoned to death. And despite this, without hesitation, she basically foreshadowed part of our Savior's model prayer, which we'll be studying in the next couple weeks. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So happy Mother's Day. You know, as I look around this room, I see incredible moms. And I have to confess that as a dad, I try really hard to help. But there's something supernatural about moms and their abilities to get things done. It's almost like there's a different time compendium for moms and then all other humans. It's like God gives moms the ability to do more even though they don't seem to be moving at some hyper-warp speed. I mean, when I, as a father, try to do what a mom does, it inevitably takes me two or three times as long, and the result is a little rough around the edges. And the older I've gotten, the more I realize that moms are kind of like some amazing super glue or, or amazing scotch tape in that we can't always see what they're holding together but they certainly are holding things together. Moms are given special abilities that rise to the surface when their child arrives. From the pain of childbirth comes a love so strong and so powerful, but it must be a little frightening. Moms are given the power to be a protector and a comforter, a teacher and a guide, a friend and a role model. And I know everyone's experience is different, but I truly believe that being a mom is one of God's highest callings. God entrusts women to carry the child as it grows within and then train them up to live a godly life. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you, moms, for all that you do. So Jesus had a role model at home for hearing and obeying God. But I digress. Back to the Shema. It had to be recited every day by every Jew each morning and each evening. It had to be said as early as possible, but no later than 9 o'clock in the morning. And then it had to be said in the evening before 9 p.m. If the last possible moment for saying the Shema had come, no matter where one was, at home, in the synagogue, at work, the Shema must be said. So you stop where you are and you say it. Now Jesus knew there were many who absolutely loved and adored saying the Shema. And they repeated the words with adoration but there were many more who were just saying the words. The Shema had become rote, just words coming out of mouths to fulfill obligations, or even worse, to pretend to be better than someone else, to be a hypocrite. Now, the second thing every Jew was to repeat each day was called the Shemone Esra, which means the 18. It was 18 prayers, which are still an essential part of synagogue services today. And in time, it became 19 prayers, but the name still remains the same. It's a beautiful set of prayers, and each Jew was to recite it three times a day, once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and once in the evening. 
Again, this lent itself to a formalism where there was a danger for prayers to be said with little meaning. Many rabbis understood this and tried to guard against it. It was even said that if a man says his prayers as if to get through a set task, that is no prayer. This is the backdrop for the verses that Jesus is saying as we lead up to the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus says not to pray like hypocrites. It's not an admonition not to pray in public. Far from it. Jesus prayed in public all the time. He prayed over the food when he blessed the food before feeding the 5,000 and again the 4,000. The question becomes one of motivation. What is driving the public prayer and where is your heart? Jesus tells the crowd gathered that those who pray as hypocrites have received their reward. And what reward is that? Only any adulation from others as to what a great prayer they are. Now, sometimes people from all faiths associate long prayer with good prayer. The more eloquent you are, the more God hears you. It's kind of the idea that if I pray long enough and loud enough at God's door, he will surely hear me. But Psalm 106 reminds us that who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? We don't all have time, vocabulary, or intelligence to pray long enough to utter all of God's mighty works. The Pharisees, however, had become notorious for their public displays of prayer. Their prayer was set out of wrong motivation. Their hearts weren't right. They wanted to impress others with their piety. Jesus tells us that God doesn't want that because it draws attention to man and not to God. It glorifies the man, but not the Father. Bill Moyers, who was on President Lyndon Johnson's staff, was asked to give the blessing over a meal one day at the White House. And as he quietly prayed to the Lord, President Johnson interrupted him and said, Speak up, Bill, I can't hear what you're saying. And Bill Moyers said, Mr. President, I wasn't talking to you. Our prayer should not be about impressing men or women, but should be our earnest communion with the Lord. Instead, what God wants from you is to go into your room and shut the door. Now again, on this special day when we celebrate Mother's Day, I can almost hear an audible, yeah, right, from every mom here. Because what mom hasn't tried to shut the door and heard, mom, 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 are you in there, mom, mom, mom? So I can imagine the thought, and not without merit, but there is never to be, never time alone when you're a mom. But we have to remember that as God's children, we enjoy the privilege of prayer. To be able to be in the presence of the Lord is an honor beyond all description. Let's remember, as it says in Hebrews, that we don't have a high priest that is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And because of that, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Earnest prayer time alone with God allows us the privilege of time alone in God's presence. And God loves spending time with us. What a gift we've been given. Our earnest prayer life allows us to intimately praise and speak to God, the God who created us, who created the universe, who knew you were before you were formed in your mother's womb. And if you don't think that's cool, the next time there's a clear night outside, go out and look it up, all the stars. Look at the mountains. 
Look at everything around. That's the God who wants to spend time with you, who created all of that. He wants time with you alone. Ladies, what a privilege it is to carry God's miraculous handiwork for nine months before introducing his creation and your child to the world. When we really pray, when our motivation is to have a better, more intimate relationship with God, we're not just sending words into the air, but our prayers become a way for God to accomplish his purpose through us on earth. And that's kind of humbling when you think about it. We have to be on guard even in private prayer. Two of Satan's strongest attacks on our Lord occurred during a time of intimate communion with the Father when he was fasting in the wilderness and when his time on the cross was drawing near. Understand that Satan will also try anything he can to hinder your prayer life. Even in our alone time, we must be mindful not to allow any self-centeredness or self-promotion to enter into our discussion with God. We have to realize that not only is it a privilege to enter into prayer with God, but it's expected. In both verses 5 and 7 today, Jesus says, and when you pray. He never says, if you pray, or when you get around to it, or I hope to see you soon. It's when you pray. Now, for a lot of us, we may not need that reminder. But for some of us, we need to remember to make prayer a priority in our lives. You know, we study certain things so we can get certain jobs. We get certain skills so we can do certain things. We exercise and eat right so that our bodies will be healthier. Probably most of you more than me on that last one, but we do that. But why? Why do we need to remember to prioritize prayer time with God? Because we have things that need to be said in prayer with the Father that, frankly, no one else needs to hear. When we pray privately, we can open our hearts to the Lord. We can pray about private or personal matters that would embarrass us if heard in public. We can call out the name of those that burden us. We can be honest with the Lord, and we can humble ourselves before him. And we can get our hearts right. And that's not always an easy thing to do. And when we're alone with God in our prayer time, you don't even have to pray out loud. The Pharisees used to pray loudly so other people would hear. God will hear what's on your heart. It used to be the cities around Jerusalem, everybody was stacked on top of each other. So if you went somewhere, there wasn't a whole lot of room. Or in the early monasteries, there were private prayer chambers. And even that led to the Catholic confession. You're in a, ch a prayer chamber. There was a 4th century believer named Chrysostrom who said that many people in their prayer closets prayed so loud that anyone could hear what they were saying. And that kind of defeats the purpose and becomes a little hypocritical again. When Jesus was saying to pray to your Father who is in secret, he's referring to the dwelling place of God. We are allowed into God's dwelling place. Now to understand the shock this must have been for the Jews is to remember that for centuries, the high priest was the only one allowed to enter the Holy of Holies, and he could enter just once a year on the Day of Atonement. Jesus is saying when we enter into genuine prayer with the Father, after we shut the door, we are able to enter the secret place with him. We are allowed to approach the throne of grace. During our private prayer time, 
were allowed the privilege of stepping out of the world for a time and enter into his presence to commune with him. That's why no matter how hectic our lives or our schedules, we have to make private prayer a priority. We need to be motivated to pray privately because private prayer is so precious and so powerful. As I was working on this message, I took a break, and of course I checked Facebook because that's what I do. And there was a post from someone who wondered what it would be like when they finally meet God in heaven. And it occurred to me that we don't have to wait. We can know what it'll be like, what it is like, if we will just shut the door. In James 4, we're reminded that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to you. God is waiting for you, and your Father, who is in secret, will reward you. When we pray with the right motivation and a heart filled with a sincere desire to have a relationship with him, he will honor our faith and our humility and will answer in a way that will demonstrate the fact that we have been with him. It allows him through us to do his work on earth. And that's not a prosperity message other than God wants to work through you. Doesn't mean you're going to get more money, get more things. You are going to get more God if you do that. And Jesus already said that if you're praying to be seen, that's all you'll get. If you're praying to be heard, that's what will happen. If you want applause for your prayer, you got it, but that's all you're going to get. There was a famous clergyman in the 1800s back east who was known for his ability to give long and eloquent prayers. Some people came to his church just to hear him pray, and he knew it. And one Sunday there was a small itinerant preacher coming through town, and he had heard about this big church, and so he went to hear him pray. And some of the, the congregation found out, and after the sermon service, they ran up to this itinerant preacher and said, you know, what did you think of our minister's famous prayers? And the preacher, trying to be kind, said, that was certainly some of the finest prayers two and four men I have ever heard. So in the first two verses, Jesus has told us what not to do and what to do in order to have a more meaningful relationship with God. In the next two verses, he again offers more insight on how to pray. In verse 7, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard with their many words. Mom, 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 let me in. Jesus knew that many Gentile religions were centered in a repetition of words or phrases that they thought would get them in touch with their spirit or their God. He also knew that the formalism of the Jewish prayer life could lead to similar dangers. And we see that reflected in 1 Kings, not for the Jews, but in 1 Kings we're told that they took a bull that was given to them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, O Baal, answer us. Now, O Baal, answer us takes, I don't know, two seconds, three seconds. And this group said it from morning, which is at least nine o'clock, until noon. Talk about repeating yourselves. But no, there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar they had made, and at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he is on a journey. Or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with 
swords and lances until the blood gushed upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering. This same kind of meaningless and empty phrases can happen even today. Many Buddhists spin wheels containing written prayers, believing that each turn of the wheel sends the prayers out to their God. But I'm afraid that we are often caught in this same empty phrase offering. How many of us growing up, or even today, say the exact same prayer before every meal? We say the same phrases when we're praying because they're comfortable to us, not to glorify God. We really have to remember God doesn't care about the length of our prayers or how eloquently we offer them or even the content within them. What matters is our motivation behind the prayer and the condition of our heart as we pray. God would rather hear you earnestly cry out, I need you or thank you than to drone on for five or 10 or 20 minutes. And as I'm saying that, I'm not saying we can't pray for the same things more than once or to pray for a long time with the Lord but it becomes wrong when we offer them mindlessly and droning on. And honestly, to pray like that is an insult to God. Finally, in verse 8, Jesus reminds us not to be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And not only does God know our needs, but He's concerned that our needs are met. And again, the God who created the universe also is the God who formed you. He's the God who knows every hair on your head. He wants to take care of you. You might ask, if God already knows what I need, why do I need to pray, especially in private? And prayer gives God the opportunity to hear from his children and express their love for him. And it affords God the opportunity to sit alone with you and demonstrate his love for us. God is the God of the universe and can do anything. He is a mighty God. And yet he chooses to spend time with us alone if we'll only close the door and be available and focused on him. He yearns to talk to each and every one of you. Of course we pray publicly, but God is a jealous God, a mighty God and a loving God. He gave his son on the cross that we might have eternal life, but also while we are still on this earth, we may come into his presence. I have to tell you, I'm tired of being a hypocrite. I want my heart cleansed and my only motivation to be for God's praise and glory. God, today we lift up mothers to you. May you bless them as they continue to bless, comfort, care, and love your children. Today, if you haven't given your life to Christ and something's calling you today, we will gladly Celebrate your new life in Christ through a baptism. If you've given your life already, but something's touched a nerve today, or like me, you realize you need to have a prayer life that's deeper and more personal, we'll have the prayer team in the back if you'd like to come and talk or pray. You know, if we will come to a place in our prayer lives where we honor God in everything we do, he will bless us in tremendous ways. It was said that D.L. Moody was so overwhelmed with the blessings of the Lord upon him that there were times where he would pray, God, stop. He could not take all that God was giving him. Wouldn't that be a nice place to be? God wants to fill your cup. He wants to bless you and use you beyond your wildest imagination. But it all begins 
by shutting the door. His throne of grace is waiting for you. Won't you enter in? What is your motivation? Where's your heart? Father God, we thank you for this special day when we are able to honor mothers who are so important to the children that you give us. God, we thank you for them. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your throne room because of the death of Jesus on the cross. May we come in often to speak with you, to learn from you, and to love you because you first loved us. And it's your name, your name we pray.